we're glad you're here. We give thanks that we could be together. And now uh, let me pray and we'll proceed. We don't ever ask to ask you to be near because you are and because you have promised such. But we do always need to ask you to know that you are. And so we would pray that even in these songs and in these prayers and in these words and in the meal to come, that you might remind us that you're good and that you're present and that you have more for us than we could imagine, even in a great moment of what feels like utter poverty, whatever it might be in our moment. So thank you, sir. Help us now. May the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Christmas time is a break from reality, can be, but I think it's kind of a good picture of the way reality is. And I say that, and I mean it this way. For some of you, uh, this weekend is just, you've been looking so forward to it, and everything's coming together, and everybody's here, and it's just going to be a grand old time, and, and you're going to love it, and you're going to savor it, and you go, I, I, I love this time of year. Uh, but the reality of it is, it, it's not going to last. Um, they got to go home. Uh, you got to put the stuff up. Um, if you leave that real tree in that room for you know, much longer, it will become a fire hazard. So you're just going to have to like let it all go. you got to go back to whatever you were doing, school, work, gardening, I don't know, fixing your pipes. That's just the reality of the world. So in one sense, if it's going to be a great weekend, it, that's not going to last, and that's, that's really like life. Or if, uh, if this weekend for you is, is just something that you just kind of need, I, I, if it'll just be over soon, so that I can kind of stop thinking about how this is not measuring up to what I hoped it would be. That the disappointment that I may be feeling because everything that I hoped it might be or what it once was for me is just not true now. Could we just get through this? And it, and it sort of deepens the melancholy that you might be feeling. And that, that too is like life. All the good things that we might enjoy, they don't, they don't last. And, and the disappointments that we feel, they, they seem to deepen and it, and it doesn't take much for those disappointments to hollow us out. And in both situations, whether good or less so good, there's a certain waiting in the back of your mind for maybe a moment in which it stays good. Or there's a thought in the back of your mind that you're waiting for something that might never come. And that's life. That's our experience. That's what we feel. And what does it mean then to wait? During Advent, we've said that waiting is, that Advent is all about remembering that he first came, but only that it might refresh us for believing again that he will return. And if we're not thinking in that direction, then we really have set our hopes on the Andy Williams, Mariah Carey version of what Christmas is. But I'd like to suggest to you, I want to let, Two saints in winter give the last word in Advent on what it means to wait upon the Lord. I think they have something for us on this day and for all our days that help us remember whatever your moment is, if you have come to follow Jesus, you are waiting for something more. 
And we best reckon with what that is and know how. And I think these two saints in winter are going to distill that down into one sentence that I have here. What we're waiting for is worth the posture we're waiting in because of who we're waiting with. What we're waiting for is worth the posture we're waiting in. Don't worry, kids, I'll explain what I mean by that. Because of who we're waiting with. So let's go there. Let's listen. We're in Luke. We're in chapter 2. We're going to hear from Simeon and Anna, two saints in winter. I wonder if you could stand. And I'll read this together. Luke chapter 2, we'll start in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many and Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can sit. What are we waiting for? We should have an answer for that in the back of our heads. Maybe it's just a feeling. Maybe it has words. But if you're a Christian, if Jesus is to you, your hope, then you have something that you are waiting for. What are you waiting for? I mean, let's, let's bring it very close to home here. What, what, what were you waiting for up until this day? You were waiting maybe for family to come in, or you were waiting for the food to end all meals, the meal that will end all meals, or maybe you were waiting for something in particular. And, and in that moment, maybe you were delighted in it. Maybe you have been surprised by what you were waiting for. I had no idea that was coming. And 
and, and maybe you're disappointed. Where, where is the car in the driveway with the bow? That this was supposed to be a, a December to remember. What were you waiting for? What were you looking forward to? There was something in the back of your mind. What was it? What were they waiting for? Simeon and Anna. They were waiting for something. They were looking forward to something. And you heard it twice in the whole passage, which, which drives the whole impetus for this whole series. What were they waiting for? It says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Anna was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Those are not two different things. Those are two of the same things just spoken of in different words. They were waiting for an end to Roman occupation and oppression. They were waiting for a day in which Israel might be finally free and unfettered to express their love for the Lord and their neighbor as themselves. They were waiting for rest from everything that afflicted them, usually nations larger than them that had imperialistic aspirations to cart them off and to treat them like pawns. They were waiting for an end and a redemption, which means being freed at someone else's cost from everything that held them down. They were waiting for all of that. And maybe that redemption that we hear of from Anna about what she was waiting for, maybe she knew that in the back of her mind, Israel needed as much being freed from their own issues as well as from the things that were external to them. Maybe they needed to be freed from everything, those habits of the heart that had held Israel captive in its own error and led to its own discipline and its own exile. That's what they were waiting for. And I'm here to tell you today that what you're waiting for is not unlike what they were waiting for. You too, if you find Jesus to be your hope, you are waiting for consolation. You are waiting for redemption. You are waiting for an end to what is broken. You are waiting for a renewal of what has been lost, what is deteriorating, what is broken, what is disheveled, what is weary. You are waiting for all of that. And you're waiting maybe in particular for the redemption of everything that holds you captive to what will not last. Beloved, that's the very definition of what an idolatry is. To hold, to rest, to find your anchor in something that just won't last. That's an idolatry. And we have to be freed from that because we have to be told that over and over again. This will not last. This will not save. And we say, oh, just give me another chance. We are waiting for an end and a rest and a renewal. And that, that renewal exists from the, from the most individual scale all the way to the civilizational scale. From the, from the very condition of your own heart to the very smallest unit of interpersonal relationship to the very culture that you're a part of. We are waiting for a renewal from the smallest relationship to the largest patterns and systems and structures and cultures. That's what we're waiting for, and, and it's not a merely passive effort. There is much that was outside of Simeon and Anna's control. Rome would not leave the Holy Land for 400 years. 
but they lived with hope and lived in hope and lived in the same love that they wish would flourish later. What I'm trying to say to you is this. You and I might be waiting for something that still seems way far off, and yet, if that's where it's headed, then what he means to bless the world in is what he means to bless through us. Flannery O'Connor, I don't know when she said it, but this is what she said. For me, it's the virgin birth, the incarnation, the resurrection, which are the true laws of the flesh and the physical. Death, decay, destruction, or the suspension of these laws. In sort of an implicit way, what it means for us to wait for is to look forward to the day when death, destruction, and decay are no more, and yet, while we do, wherever it is within our power and our purview to push back against the forces of death, destruction, and decay, that's yours and my mandate. That's what it means to wait upon him. Not simply to bide our time, looking forward to the day when it'll all change, but to participate in that life now. To try and to fail and maybe even die trying. That's what we're waiting for. And, and that kind of gets us then it anticipates the second question, that what we're waiting for is worth the posture that we're waiting in. And again, let me reference something that may be more familiar. Like, what was it like for you to wait until this day? What was, it, what was your inner being? What was your external expressions of what it meant to wait for whatever was coming? Maybe it was pacing. Maybe, maybe some of you kids finally learned math by learning to count the days. Wait, 11? That's... 10 carry the, that many days? You, you learned to wait. Or, or maybe some of you just, you know, inhabited these last four weeks with dread because you have this sort of sentimental streak in you. Who does that, right? Because you know you're going to have to put all this stuff back and it's all going to go away and the tinsel will be thrown away. You had a certain way about you and within you and among you that expressed kind of what it was, the posture, the, the way you were. What was the posture of Anna and Simeon? We know what they're waiting for. In what way did they wait? Because I think what they, the posture they waited in is the same posture we do. It says of Simeon that he was a righteous man, that he believed God, and then he believed that God meant good for him. He believed what the proverb said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's, that's Simeon. That's how he waited. He was, he was righteous in that way. And if I might put that to you in a very practical terms, you know the moment in, you know, when Jesus grows up and he's kind of now in his public ministry and there in John chapter two, he's at a wedding, right? And the wine runs out. And mom... Mother Mary comes to him and he sa and says, you know, they ran out of wine. As if to say, so get on that. And Jesus is like, woman, how dare you call me that? Woman, it's not my hour. And like good moms do, she puts her son, corners him, right? And like now he can't get out of it because she says to the attendants, she says to them, do whatever he tells you. And then he is obliged to act. But when mom says to them, do, do whatever he tells you, friends, that's what righteousness is. Whatever he says, 
Just do what he tells you. In, in the space trilogy of, of C.S. Lewis, the, the middle book is called Paralandra, and every book is about a different planet. Paralandra is the planet in the second book, and there is sort of a lady of Paralandra that's supposed to remind us of Eve, and there is a tempter that is trying to get the lady of Paralandra to stop listening to God, and, and she says in response to the temptation to you know, refuse him and disobey him, she says, to walk out of his will is to walk into nowhere. Simeon reminds us that righteousness is to believe that to walk out of his will is to walk into nowhere. And that's the posture in which we wait. What about Anna? She too is spoken of as righteous, but it says of her that she was devoted She gave her full attention. She wrote a story she did not expect for herself. Or rather, she was in a story she never dreamt would come. Her hopes were dashed. She had great expectations for what it might have been to be a wife. And then her husband dies, and that story unfolds for her like it never, she never imagined. And yet, Despite her finding herself in a story that she never would have written for herself, she was undeterred. And to borrow a phrase from a film that I shared with you in recent months, she says, this is not unfair. This is just what happened. And she find, we find her in the temple praying night and day. Now, that's the posture that you and I are to live in, I think, as it means to wait. But does that mean uh, I'm telling you, okay, think about God, think about God, think about God, think about God, think about God. Well, yes and no. What the word there is for devotion is a word that in our day that we might just call attention. Our attention to something. And Simone Weil was a, a writer of the last century, and she says attention is something you can practice with everything. If it's in geometry, give your attention to the geometry problem. If it's in gardening, give your attention to the gardening issue. Because whether it's in geometry or gardening, the more you give your attention to those things, the more you are cultivating your heart to be able to pray. To be in communion with the one who is worthy of your attention. Friends, don't I know it. The ability to give our attention uninterrupted for any length of time is dwindling far away. And this is not a new idea. In the 1600s, Blaise Pascal said this. I've said it to you before. He believes that everything, all of man's problems, can stem from one thing, his inability to sit in a room by himself quietly. You and I, if we're going to wait for what we're meant to wait for, yes, To walk out of his way is to walk into nowhere, but it is also to learn how to give our attention to the things that are important to him. And we practice that with every other thing that we have. Our problem is what must anchor our attention too often gets lost in a sea of other things that are competing for that attention. But that's our posture. And in that posture, we learn how to wait for the things that are still to come. And because of one thing, and this is the last thing I'll say, we, what we're waiting for is worth the posture we're waiting in because of who we're waiting with. 
the reason we even know about Simeon and Anna is because they happened to be there when the royal family, when they didn't know they were a royal family, shows up to follow the law, and both Simeon and Anna, when they encounter Jesus, everything changes. They have insight into who he is that Mary and Joseph have only gotten hints of before. Big hints, but still, this only corroborates what they've already been told by angels. And in that moment, they acclaim what is good. Simeon, in him, is rejoicing and relief. I can die now. I was made a promise that I would see the salvation. Now I can go in peace. Anna, she can't stop talking about it. She can't stop speaking with gratitude about it. When they encounter him, when they are in his presence, joy, relief, gratitude, honesty, candor, it all comes to the surface because of whose presence they're in. And the funny thing is, the insight that they get by the Spirit that they then share with mom and dad, and then they share with others, they had some idea of who this was, but they didn't have the clue the fullness of who he was. They didn't know that they were not just in the presence of the one that was sent by God, that they were in the presence of God himself. They didn't know that this Jesus would come and work good both for Israel and all the Gentiles, but that he would do so by dying for them. Who is this Jesus? He is the one who says, I am with you till the end of the age. We're waiting for him to come back, but it's not like we're waiting for somebody that's not already present. He is the one who says, I am with you, with you. I am for you, I am with you, I indwell you until you will see me face to face. He is the one we are with. And that is meant to remind us of this. In this life and in the darkness, you are not unaccompanied. You are not unassisted. Though all the lights go out, he is still present. What do we do with all of that? What does it mean to take it in and to respond to it? Um, This is the application. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, but not like what Karen Carpenter meant. You need to make sure that you have yourself a merry little Christmas and not confuse the trappings of Christmas, or even the disappointments about those trappings with Christmas, don't confuse any of that with Christmas itself. There's a difference. And you have to know the difference. And if I might help you see what that difference is, I want to show you a watercolor. Uh, the, the woman who drew it several years ago that you're probably familiar with, her name is Sister Grace Remington. And she's a nun in Iowa. She was born in 1971. There's a wonderful little interview with her in our resource doc this week. And and she says, some of my greatest influences, she says, I was born in 1971. So two words, Star Wars. She says that. But several years ago, she was just trying to capture what does it mean to understand what Christmas is? And this came to mind. And if you aren't sure who we're looking at here, on the left, that's Eve. On the right, that's Mary. Eve is beholding what is growing inside of Mary. And here, my friends and welcome guests, is a picture of Christmas and a picture of the gospel. In Adam and Eve, we have a picture of those who made a choice to refuse what God had said 
And with that choice came death. And in Mary, we have a choice that was given to her to follow in his way, and it's by her choice that life comes into this world. Death reigns, but in this Jesus, life has come, and in that life, it was the light of men, and that light is to tell us this. Death has an expiration date. Death will die. And so I would want to suggest to you maybe a new tradition. Last night I I suggested to you one tradition, and that was on any Christmas night, if you can, and the sky is clear, go out and find a star or the moon was in sliver last night, whatever it might be, so that you might remember this, that because Jesus is true and because he is risen and because you are his, that there is light and high beauty in this world that is beyond the reach of everything that is in the darkness and the shadow of your moment. We should go stargazing on Christmas when we can, but I would like to suggest to you a new tradition too, that if this picture is to remind us that the one that is growing in her womb would die to rise and bring an end to death, then here's your new tradition. In whatever way you want, you should not let Christmas go by without taunting death. You should taunt death. Now, kids, I am not saying you car surf on the way home. I, I am not saying that you put a watermelon on your brother's head and then, you know, try out your new crossbow. No, that's, that's not taunting death. That's tempting fate. Don't do that. Taunting death. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. That's a taunt. But you and I, if we want to get to the heart of Christmas and not get stuck in all the trappings and all the other good things, you and I should taunt death in some way. Make fun of it. Because Christmas has implicit within it Good Friday and Easter Sunday, so W.H. Auden says. You and I, in whatever way you can, should taunt death. Let me offer you just one example. It's old, but it works. It's from John Donne. And he wrote a poem, one of his holy sonnets, and here's an excerpt from it. It's called Death Be Not Proud. This is what he says. Don't get lost in all the uh, relative clauses here. I have to read it four times too, but just listen. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. That's old. That's a taunt. That's Christmas. That's the gospel. You don't have to write a poem, but I hope that you would find some creative way on this day, before the night has come, for you to taunt death. And if you needed another idea of how you do that, just come to this table. I cannot think of a better way to celebrate this moment and to taunt death than to celebrate the one who is God made flesh and take into ourselves his body, his blood. That's Christmas and Easter and the whole story wrapped into one, the universal in the particular, and this is beauty. Beloved, whatever your day is, whether it's going to be full of mirth or of just waiting for it to be over, 
I am here to remind you there is goodness and mercy still to come because of what he did. And it began with him coming in the same vulnerability that you and I feel every day. This is why Christmas is merry and can be. Let's pray. So Father, I would, I would pray for hope and help. I would pray for little things that give us laughter, maybe surprises that remind us that the world is not as cold and hard as it tends to be. And I pray that that would be true even for all the things that did not turn out like we hoped it would, for all the ways in which this day is different from days past. I would pray that you would remind us through the hugs, the glances, the greetings, the well wishes, that your love for us is real and that we belong to you, to one another, and to that which will not end. So we praise you that we might know one who was weak for us and who made himself poor, that we might become rich. In his name we pray. Amen.